You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Last week, about that, uh, we had hired a, a worship pastor who'll be joining the team in January. Ask him to come this week just to kind of meet and greet. And they've been in the foyer between services, meeting a lot of you. And so, just wanted to introduce them. Uh, didn't ask them. Yeah, thank you. kind of awkward if you have like a minute or two to like say, hey, share something because you don't know where to start. And like, you know, I was saved on this day or whatever, you know, just awkward. But um, just wanted them to be able to meet you and chat with them. And so they're going to be around after service. I know we're all trying to get to lunch like crazy, but guess what? Uh, I've learned that if you get there at 1215 or 1245, doesn't matter because you're waiting in line, right? So um Take time to just chat with uh, Wes and Bethany. Wes uh, has been in worship ministry for over 20 years in Ohio and Florida. Uh, Bethany is a school teacher, fourth grade, third and fourth grade. And so they are in the Dayton area and they'll be transitioning up here through the first of next year. And he'll be, they'll be joining the team in January. So they have a daughter, Charisma. She's in downtown right now, already making a lot of new friends. So um, would you just join me in welcoming them? And would you take time out as you're leaving to just welcome them to Lima Community? Thanks. Thanks. How many of you, maybe they can zoom in here for me. How many of you have read this book? Jack's like, I can't see that. That's a book or not. <laughs> the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Have you at least heard of it? Okay, what I'm holding here is the most published book in the history of the world besides the Bible when it comes to religious literature. I don't know if you knew that. You got to live in the area of the most published book outside of the Bible. Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Pastor in California for a bunch of years. He's retired. You know, I, I listened to him talk about writing this book. And I want this story about writing this book to kind of frame how we approach today's topic. Rick Warren was a, a young pastor, little town. Nobody knew the name Rick Warren when he was in his 20s. Finished seminary, uh, started ministry with his wife Kay, and they were starting a young family. And um, <clears throat> he felt in prayer and, and walking with the Lord early in his ministry, the Lord kind of just said, Rick, I know you have this, this approach to giving back to me and you've set a percentage. And Rick, this year, I, I want you the next year, I want you to give 20% of all your income back to me. Okay. Young pastor, you, you guys get the scenario, right? New family. It's tight. Um, I'm sure he went, <gasps> right? Okay, Lord, I'll do it. The next year felt like the Lord told him, Rick, I want you to give 30%. 30%. And Rick Warren, as he's talking about his walk with the Lord through the years, this is before Rick Warren is Rick Warren. He said every year the Lord began to just draw him to them to a greater percentage. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 
until Rick and Kay were giving 90% of their income back to the Lord. That's radical, is it not? This isn't a trick. I'm not telling you that you have to do that today, okay? But as I listened to Rick Warren talk about how am I the guy or why am I the guy that wrote the most published book ever besides the Bible? He said, after I wrote that book, it was a little Bible study in our church and it was published and it took off. He said, I felt very clearly like the Lord impressed on me. Rick, you weren't the smartest guy in the room. You didn't write the most academic book. But Rick... I knew I could trust you. I knew I could trust you. Because you had already set the rhythm and tenor of your life to live with an open hand. And I want us to just realize that. I am not telling you you have to give 90% away, okay? I don't give 90% away, okay? So that would be super hypocritical, right? But the principle is that God is always drawing us to live with an open hand. And that when we make a commitment of a lifestyle of living with an open hand, there is no telling what God is going to do through our lives. And Rick heard the radical call of God as a young pastor to live in a radical way, and yet it was all preparing him to be the guy that would write this book that's published millions and millions and millions of times. And you know what that means? Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And yet God's like, this guy, it won't affect him in the least because he's given 90% of his income away. In fact, get this, Rick, once this book was published and it took off, and obviously, you know, 10% of the proceeds from this book's a nice living, right? I'm sure. Um, he just felt in his heart, like I've pastored this church saddleback for 30 years. I, he goes over, gets his calculator, adds up all of his salary that they've paid him for 30 years, writes a check to the church. So the moral of the story is you guys need to let me go write a book. And then you'll get me for free. <laughs> but I want you to think about that. Because what Rick experienced is what often the Lord is drawing us to when he talks about giving in the, in the scriptures. The lifestyle that he has for us is the life of an open hand. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, okay, 90%, start doing it, follow Rick. No, but somewhere in your life, God is going to challenge you to understand that his purpose for your life is to be a, a person who lives open-handed. To take, what, the question is, what do I do with what God has given me? What do I do with what God has given me in time, in talent, and in resource? What do I do with it? How does he want me to live? And I will tell you this, it's just a little analogy in my mind, that God has always created us to live as streams, not dams. Dams wall it up and keep it. Streams just let it keep flowing. And that the purpose God has for all of our lives is to live as streams. And it's amazing how God responds to our commitment to him in this 
in this matter. And so we're in this week or this month of next, this kind of rhythm we have in our church. It, it keeps us as a people that are forward thinking, that are proactive instead of reactive, that are kingdom mindset of expectation instead of a world mindset of survival. Amen. We're, we want to always keep in front of us the opportunities God has for us. What's next? What's next? This church was built. This church survived and continues to thrive because it's had this kind of mindset. What's next? A little group in Grand Avenue would have never dreamed that we would sit here on this corner and affect so many people in Lima without this kind of what's next expectation from God. And guess what? It's our turn and it's our time. It's your turn and it's my time to continue to lean in, to take the heritage that has been given and passed down. I've just been like blown away by some of the stories I've been told over this first year about people who just sacrificially and, 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 and trustingly just gave to the Lord, believing and expecting what was going to happen here. I mean, I, I heard a story about somebody who sold a house and gave all of the proceeds to the house to, to Grand Avenue Church of the Nazarene. I mean, who does that? People who are expecting God to do something great. We want to keep that in front of you this, as we do every year this month. It, it, it's, you see, all that you see and what is going on doesn't come about because of mediocre, apathetic, semi-invested people. I knew it was going to get quiet. It was quiet first service. So. I'm comfortable. I'm about you. Anytime you start talking about money, people are like, uh. I promise I'm not a TV preacher. In this season of next for us, it's a season of bringing our facilities up to par and greater effectiveness for ministry as we begin to move into the season of new ministries. It's, it's things like this going up. You like that sign that's going up next week? You better let me know or it's going to go. It's already been made, but I mean, there's signs all over going up. Just stuff to, again, enhance our building. God cares about his house. If you don't believe that, go to the Old Testament. He kind of obsessed over his temple. I mean, I'm like, whoa, get over it, Lord. Like, I mean, this dimension, this material, this and that. Why? Because it's a reflection of who he is. And our approach to ministry should be functional and excellent. It doesn't need to be extravagant. I don't believe the Lord would be blessed if we're building golden towers in our lobby while people are going hungry down the road. That doesn't smack of Jesus, does it? But yet these places should be efficient and should be attractive and should be walking in and say, you know what? This just makes sense. God, God is this. And so that's the season we're in right now as we continue to walk into what's next. And at the end of this service, it's a little different service, and you might be uncomfortable, and that's okay. I mean, I am too. But um, we're going to give you a chance, if you, if you would like, to reach into the, the seat that's in front of you in the, in the um, what do they call it? Pockets. That's the word. Pockets. That's a tough one. And... Fill out a pledge card. 
Lord, I, I just feel like I want to be a part of this. Or you can go online, or we have it on the app, or you can take the card with you. But we're going we're gonna to pass the offering plates at the end just for pledge cards, just because we want to give you an opportunity, because we believe this is how God uses us, and it's a part of the, the, the totality of how we have purpose in this world. This is the line I've been sharing this month. Moving effectively, this is personally or a church, moving effectively into what is next calls for a well-informed, purposeful lifestyle with the resources of time, money, and talent that God has given us. Well-informed, that first week of November, we talked about that parable Jesus shared about the dishonest manager who actually he commends because he was so shrewd. He figured out how to leverage finances for his own future. He made a smart investment and the Lord is saying, listen, you guys need to be shrewd like that. You need to understand that the greatest investment your money has is when you invest it eternally. Like if I wish 30 years ago, I would have been smart enough. Of course, I was 14 then. So um, to figure out the Apple stock, right? And, and get a little bit in the Apple stock because the return on investment has been immense. Hundreds of fold, thousands of fold. Shrewd in leveraging your money for its best ROI. And that parable is saying, hey, the best investment you can make is the ones that have eternal impact, the ones that make friends for yourself in eternity. To be well-informed is to look at my resources and say, hey, I have an opportunity to leverage these things for something that is going to last forever. It's not gonna end when I stop living. And so that's to be well-informed is to have that kind of mindset. Today, we want to talk about what it means to be purposeful. And I want to get into you a little bit today. It's coach talk, maybe. Um, and, and I get when we talk about time, talent, money, that it gets quiet and it's awkward. And we have sometimes so many negative um, vibes from this. And I would say that I have always hesitated to talk about this subject because I just didn't want to be put in this kind of place. Like, you know... Um, and I always like, you know, the, the churches I was pastoring, the, 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 the finances were great and growing and growing. I'm like, well, Lord, I ain't saying much, and it just keeps growing, so I'm just going to keep doing that. And Lord's like, no, you're missing an opportunity here. Because really, this is not about resources. This is really another conversation about heart. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, for where your treasure is, there's your heart. That really when we look at this part of our life, our checkbook and our calendar, that really it is a, it's a dashboard indicator of the things that we value, the things that we believe in. It's a heart thing. So I'm just preaching to the heart again today and this is one of those areas where our heart is uh, affected and it's revealed. And it's, it's an opportunity for our heart to be enlarged, our heart to be transformed by use, being used, by being purposeful. Is it 
Is it uh, any surprise that the most popular book outside of the Bible has the word purpose in it? I don't think so. Why? Because we are so attracted to this idea that we are here for a reason. Life lived without purpose is like li- hardly living. It's surviving. It's, um, uh, it's not the abundant life that Jesus promised. I have come to give you life and life abundant. You know, talking about giving of ourselves and our resources not only indicates where our heart is and it gives us a chance to be transformed, but a part of that is God has created this system. The God who doesn't need anything from us calls us to partner with him because he knows that in the practice, the rhythm of giving, we continue to break the chains of self-centeredness that want to ensnare us. That when I give, I make a statement. When I give my time, when I give my resources, I make a statement that it's not about me. That I was created for a bigger purpose in reality. And giving breaks the greed that seeks to capture our heart. And so let's read this story Jesus shared. Matthew 25, as he is in his last days, uh, this is like Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday before Thursday is the Last Supper, Friday's the crucifixion, Sunday's the resurrection. The Sunday before has been Palm Sunday. So somewhere in those days, in his last week, Jesus is really sharing, getting off his heart, unburdening himself about really important things. The context of Matthew chapter 25, in some ways, is very sobering. Like Jesus is saying, okay, I'm gonna do this, and I'm going to I'm going to die and and be risen I'm going to be raised from the dead and you're going to have to choose to believe in this and you're going to have to believe that I am who I said I am and now you're going to have to believe in following me and the life I have for you and the life that I have for you looks like this it's a life of purpose it's lived out like this and he began to share parables and stories And what you need to know is that the context of some of this is like eternal life type stuff. Like, are you really a Jesus follower or not? I mean, if you were to keep reading after the story we're going to look at, he's talking about, you know, giving out a cold cup of water and closing those who are naked and feeding those who are hungry and being attentive to the needs of the poor. And they're going to say, well, we didn't do that to you, Jesus. And he said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And he's talking about sheep and goats. I mean, this is something that all of us should be like, oh, Lord, help me understand this. Help me figure this out because this sounds pretty darn important. Did I just say darn? Sorry. Here's, Here's the story. Again, Jesus is in the middle of sharing stories, right? He's talking about 10 virgins, Five who had the oil. Okay, you know that story. Some of you don't. We'll talk about it later if you want. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So we're going to talk about a man who has wealth. Whose wealth is it? His wealth to them. Okay, that's an important phrase to remember. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Okay, so that's another principle we're going to look at. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. This is impressive. The guy who had the most to lose, who had the biggest bank account, was the most risky, was the most aggressive. And he gained five more. So, again, the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. That's another key principle in here, settling accounts. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. I've gained five more. His master replied, aren't these familiar words to us? These are the words I long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. These are the words that have already been promised to those who are in Christ. That when we see him, he's going to say, well done. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Sounds like a good future for this man. The man with two bags came, and master, you entrusted me with two bags. I gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, master, I knew that you were a hard man. And, and this, this word, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, you're aggressive, I love this picture. Obviously, the master is God himself. He's aggressive. He is going out and after it everywhere. Like, I'm going to go where there's not been scattered seed. I'm going to get a harvest. I'm, gonna, I'm just aggressive. And I knew you were an aggressive guy, and I worried about that because you're aggressive. And I thought, well, I can't lose what he gave me. So I was afraid, keyword, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Does that sound familiar? Don't look down the row at somebody. Okay? And the master replied, listen to these sobering words, you wicked and lazy servant. His sin was a sin of inactivity. His sin was a sin of fear. His sin was not realizing who his master was and what he was supposed to do with his master's wealth. Right? So you knew that I harvest, you know that I'm aggressive, where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, at least you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And some of you are like, yeah, I do that, so I'm not so bad. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to another, to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not sure all that means, but that's not a place I'm interested in going. Amen? And there was a, anyway. What do I do with what God has given me? Jesus said, I want you to understand this about what you have. The first thing we notice in this parable is the principle of stewardship. 
a man entrusted his wealth. And here's the phrase, it's not yours anyway. You know, this is huge. This is the sticking point for me. This is where my greatest struggle is. The minute you give me something, I have this just uh, inside thing that possesses it. And I have ownership now. And it's mine. I mean, the creation story is Genesis 2. God said our role on earth was to take care of his world. Remember the psalmist says the earth belongs to the Lord and everything that is in it. We have, what we have is simply on loan for us to steward and manage and leverage actually for even our own betterment in eternal places. This guy's crazy. He gives us stuff. And if we use it right, he gives us more stuff. I mean, what a generous God. And everything we have has been loaned to us. It's really not ours. And what he's trying to convey to us is God is the source. Do I live every day really believing that God is the source? Or have I done the the worldly, earthly, sinful thing to believe that I possess, that I own? I remember the story I shared last year about, you know, Selah, I would take her to McDonald's. I would drive her. She couldn't get there on their own. I would drive through and order her a happy meal. I would pay for the happy meal with my money. I would hand it back to her. And as we're getting to the stoplight, the smell of the fries would hit me. And I would reach back and say, hey, can I have a couple of those? And she has possessed this thing for 10 seconds. And she has not paid for it or had any way to, to, to possess it. And she looks at me and says, no, mine. You know, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. That's not just five-year-olds. That's unfortunately been my life at 25. I really believe this is a sticking point for all of us. If we can get our minds wrapped around, we don't own it anyway. Boy, it would free us up. And it would chase away the fears that the one guy, the one talent guy had. Because he didn't really realize his master. He didn't understand his master who provides and takes care of and wants us to just mimic him in being aggressive and believing that it's his anyway. He owns it all. He's going to take care of me. The second principle is the principle of allocation. It's not all the same. There's five, two, and one. This is important because this chases away excuses. I'm a one-talent guy. Those five-talent guys should be doing that stuff. I'm one-talent. I don't need to, I, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't, isn't, right? Nowhere in this parable is anybody given, a, well, you're a five or a one. All were expected. I mean, you know, the sooner we come 
to the reality that life is not equal, that more at peace will become, right? Like I'm, I'm still bitter I'm not 6'6". Because if I'd have been 6'6", I'd have hooped it up for the University of Iowa. I know you don't believe that, but just watch me. And I could live the rest of my life being bitter about the fact I wasn't 6'6". And you would look at me and say, come on, bro, get over it. There's a whole lot you can do with your life, in your life, right? There is no equality in that regard. There's five twos and ones. But guess what? The Lord has the same expectation of five twos and ones. And the principle of allocation is don't use excuses that I'm just a one. Amen? The principle of stewardship or the ownership, the principle of allocation, it's the principle of accountability. God expects us to make the most. He has made an investment in us and he is expecting us to, in return, invest in him. You see, in this parable, after a time, the master returned and settled accounts. One day, you and I, God, will audit our life. We will give an account of how we have either invested, spent, or wasted what God has given to us. Time, talent, and resources. The psychologist Alfred Adler would say this. I, I, I just was attracted to what he said. He holds an interesting theory of individual psychology. He said, when dealing with people, he says this, trust only in movement. Life happens at the level of action. He goes on to say, we are not what we say, but we are what we do. What we do is the real key to our intentions. And this phrase caught me, trust only in movement. You know the old adage that the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Amen? And the Lord is saying, like in this parable, he comes back and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? Settle on accounts. And there is this principle of accountability. It all counts what we've done. The last one is the principle of utilization or what I would call use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. You ever have vacation days like that? You use them or you lose them, right? And the Lord in this parable is saying, don't bury your talents. He expects you to use them. And that third servant was cautious. He buried it, didn't earn anything with it. He didn't understand his master. And he didn't trust in his master's provision. And so he took it all on himself and he buried it so he could at least say, hey, I didn't lose it. And really what happened was he did lose it. He didn't get to keep it. What was his was taken and given to the guy with 10. If God has given you a talent, he's given us all time, and he's given us a measure of resources, five, two, and one, Okay? And I realize I'm talking to a group of us in a 21st century where we uh, seemingly have less margin than we've ever had. We live in a credit and dated 
inundated culture. And I know I'm talking to people who have been affected like that. I've had to wrestle with that in my life in the past. Where we have, we have overextended ourselves, where our giving, right? And so you're like sitting here listening to me like, Pastor, I agree with everything you're saying. But have you seen my checkbook? Have you seen my bank account? And so what we tend to do is say, okay, that really screwed up. I guess I'm just going to miss out on that. And I'm saying, hey, don't stop paying your bills. That's, pay your bills. But with where you're at, start today. Somewhere, somehow. Because when you start today, if you're not doing it, you're expressing zero faith. But even if you start where you can, with where you're at, you begin to say, Lord, I want to be a part of, I want to, I, I get it, you're, and I've kind of got in this mess, but how do I get out? Just start where you're at, how you can. Start exercising faith, saying, Lord, I can only give you 50 bucks a month. That's all I got. We'll give him 50 bucks, right? And then obviously practice biblical principles about debt and stewardship in the rest of your life. Probably not smart to say I can only give you 50 bucks, but then I'm gonna buy a, you know, an Escalade, I hope no one in here has an Escalade. <laughs> I love Escalades. They look amazing. But like, I can't, I'm not going to buy an Escalade. That doesn't fit my, right? Not saying somebody who has an Escalade can't do that. If you can afford to do it, I, give me a ride. <laughs> Seriously. It's freeing to get to a point in your life where you're not envious of other people. You, you just aren't. Like, okay, that's awesome. But if, okay, I'm in the weeds. Get out. Get back on the path. This utilization is saying, listen, really what he's saying is if you don't live into the purpose, that the things that you could have done and should have done for the Lord, somebody else is going to do. And they're going to live a blessed life and reap not only blessing in this life, but eternal reward. That's what he's saying. Use it or lose it. It's like the way our muscles are. If you stop using them, you lose ability with them. And he's saying, don't ever lose that stewardship muscle, that giving of your time, talent, and resource muscle. I would simply leave you with this, that many times, and I'm asking you this question, we have this attitude journey of stewardship. Oftentimes, and this was me, um, it was legalistic. I have to. Uh, like, uh, you, did you read the story, Chip? The guy at the end didn't do it, and I don't know what gnashing and darkness and gnashing of teeth is, but I don't want that, so I have to. Right? Then you kind of moved into obligatory, which I should. God's blessed me so much. I should do this. I mean, it makes sense. You ever been there? Like, I should do this. But God is in this attitude journey of stewardship trying to bring us to a joyful, I get to. I see what is happening through what God has given me to be used to advance his kingdom. 
And a progression of stewardship looks like this. It's, it's initial. Like, oh, I'm going to do that. Wow. And then it kind of becomes regular. And it's built into your... And then it's amazing how... I, I just have seen this over and over. I believe in it so much. People who... Uh, a regular stewardship of their time, talent, resources. God just orders their life in such a beautiful way. And there's, there's an abundance of many things, of influence, of even finances, not all the time, but sometimes of influence, of so many things. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, <laughs> look what I have. And we get intentional. Like, I want a piece of that. You know that project, that ministry put me in. Because I've walked through what it means to be used initially and regularly, and now I'm leaning into intentional and even to the point where it can get radical. I'm amazed. My wife works in a nonprofit with a nonprofit. I'm amazed at the amount of volunteers that, you know, they uh, either their spouse works, they don't have a regular employee job, or they're retired. And they've just leaned into this initial and regular. And then they get intentional. And it's amazing to see some of them just get radical. Like it becomes a part of who they are. People are looking at it like, why do you spend 30 hours at that place? You're not getting a dime. In fact, you're giving your money too to that place. Because it becomes a part of who they are, their purpose in life. It's like I can't live without it. I, I see what can happen. I see what's happening. And I want that. God is moving us on this progression, wanting us to, to move toward the life of the open hand, the life of being a stream and not a dam. And so I'm gonna take a few moments and let you, uh, if you'd like to at this time, to take a card that's in front of you, begin to fill that out. Um, we... we we have this next campaign every year where we just say, hey, um, maybe you've been blessed abundantly or you see this as a place where God is leading you to because it's just, I need to be a part of stewarding my life toward him. And, and I wanna be a part of saying, hey, if there's things that we can uh, do that lead us into the next season of ministry, sign me up. Maybe you do online like me um, or on the app. But we're just going to take a few moments. This is an act of worship today. I'm telling you, our life of worship, part of how we worship God is what we do with what he's given to us. Not just our heart and our mind as far as worship and praise so many times and, and living morally. Part of living morally is to rightly steward what God has given to you. Oftentimes we think of like, well, I'm not some major, uh, I'm not in trouble with the Lord. You know, I, I'm, I'm faithful to my partner. I don't rob banks. And, and I want to say that the Lord's drawing you to more though. And saying, listen, a life that's, that's following Jesus is a life that understands I can't waste what God has given to me. Like you're a five, a two, or a one. Stop looking at each other. I'm just telling you, but the principle was everybody got something. And the Lord says that through his scripture when he talks about gifts. Everybody's giving gifts. I believe most people are, there's very few ones. There's a lot of twos and fives. I just believe that. I've observed it. He's saying, don't waste it. Lean into it. 
I believe that like Rick Warren, uh, you might not write the best-selling book ever, but I've just seen this over and over and over and over. It's like a principle of the kingdom that when I live with the open hand, the opportunity God gives me in influence in so many ways, it's like, I didn't see that coming, but wow. It's like, I can trust you. I, 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 you have 10, I'll give you another one. I, I'll, I'll give you more, I'll give you five. It, it, there's something at play here. It's a spiritual principle, it's a kingdom reality. So I'm just asking you to think about how God might want you to be open-handed. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. I wanna pray. Just walk through and if you wanna give a card today, we'd love for you to be able to do that. If you wanna take it home, pray about it, wanna go online, whatever. But this is a way that we believe that the kingdom moves forward. This is how we are proactive. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us. And this is way bigger than a month in November. This is a lifestyle of stewardship of our lives. Lord, I, I, I see in your word that you, you almost are like, oh, I wish they would just trust me. Like you even in the Old Testament say, test me in this way. Give me and watch me, test me. Watch what I do when you live open-handed, when you mimic me, the open-handed God who is generous with grace and wisdom and love. And when we look like him, he glories in that and he just floods our life in so many ways. Lord, you're just wanting us to, to not be afraid and to trust you and to, to take a step out, to be a part of the eternal thing. Lord, I, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us in whatever way you want to talk to us about our time, our talent, our resources. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers are receiving your pledge cards, I just want to like dip in a little bit, share at first service that we are really trying through, in, in my heart, in 2024, really trying to figure out ways, and we're planning behind the scenes of, of making 2024 a year of connection, a year of community, of figuring out those on-ramps for people. We do not want you to do life on your own. You were never created to be that way. And just figuring out how to build systems that better uh, equip us for people who are new or not connected to find on-ramps easily so that they can have people in their lives and encourage them, edify them, support them, come alongside them, keep a, a, you know accountability, all that stuff. That to me is the year 2024, a year of community leaning in. Jesus said, by all this, men will know you are my disciples by what? your love for one another. The best evangelistic tool we have to a lost and dying world is how we one another one another because they're desperately looking for community. Show up on a Friday night at a bar or at the Moose Lodge or at some kind of thing. We go places, we meet people, we spend time. We want community. And if the church of Jesus Christ is modeling this community as the most life-giving, it's a way that the barriers and the doors are open and the barriers are knocked down for them to meet the one who can change their life. 
And then as we start to roll into some of that, uh, and just thinking 2025 for us is where in this community can we really lean into where we are then we found our niche? Niche? Huh? Either one. The word expert said either one. He is Grammar 101, man. He's the expert. Where we can find out, hey, where are the tangible ways we can show the love of Jesus and make ourselves a credible witness to say that church is the place and I believe in what they're about because, and we're just trying to discern, what does that look like? Is it, there's a lot of handout stuff and maybe we don't duplicate that, but what about hand up stuff? How about coming alongside people who are, who are uh, bound by the dysfunctions of poverty and, and relational dysfunction and addiction and, and all this stuff? Where can we lean into some big ideas with that? But I can promise you from my perspective, I am committed to being a next kind of person. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. It's a holy unsatisfaction. I am content. I love being here, but I wanna lean into where God can take us. Father, I pray that you would just continue to speak to us. May what you started in the 40s through this body only see its greatest days ahead. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Each one of us could easily see how blessed we are in so many ways. Lord, help us to find purpose that comes from living by partnering with you and using our time, our talent, and our resources for you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.